0: Well, good
1: morning, beloved family. How are you doing? I pray that you're doing well. We are doing just fine here. And all the issues that have stemmed from the coronavirus and the uh, closing of churches and the inability to get to Mass for most of us and uh, everything associated with this, the loss of jobs, Well, we're not experiencing the loss of jobs um, well, when people lose jobs, then they are not able to give to certain uh, apostolates uh, um, as they normally would. And we, I think the Station of the Cross, um, we felt it over here, but particularly last week, the Station of the Cross on their fun drive. Um, so many of you for the entire week were um, so wonderful and so generous, but um, I, I... Think that the the amount uh, given from the goodness of all your hearts uh, didn't yet equal what they need for the next six months. So this is for normal expenses to keep them going. So, um, but God is perfect in His ways, and um, we give what we can. Uh, hopefully, you know, always sacrificially, uh, thinking of King David. I will not give the Lord that which costs me nothing. So we, we the widow's might cost that widow all. That's why Jesus uh, gave that example. So for somebody, 25 cents is, <clears throat> is more than another person's $1,000 just because of what they have. So God understands it. Uh, Station of the Cross understands it. I certainly understand it, my goodness. And um, whatever you're experiencing, whatever you're going through, whatever your fears... Uh, whatever your anger, whatever your concerns about the coronavirus, there's a lot of headlines out there, a lot of things going on, uh, some of them not so good, not so good. Um, the government is taking more and more control, which they have no right to do at all. They have no right to take any control. Uh, the government was set up to to help the states, to help the citizens not to control them it has no power to control us um, unless we give it that power unless we give it that power um bishops asking governors if they can open their churches uh, it gives the government a power that they don't have um and in some cases uh well i won't go on but um we're going to leave the discussion of all these situations to the time of your calls and your questions and your texts and all of that, your emails, if you have those questions and I can help it all. Um, of course, I want to always, but we are going to go back because the only thing for us to do right now, the, the main thing for us to do is to live our faith. And we cannot, I've said it before, we cannot live a faith that we do not know. Um we need to learn our faith and and so many people say, but uh you know, I've never been taught the faith, I really don't know it, I don't know how to teach it to my children and they're home now all of that it's it's um it's concerning, I know that, um but we'll learn it together, we'll learn it together um if your children are home and they're old enough, um you can put them. Help them on, you know, put them on the radio with you for this first half hour and um, or at least pick out parts of it on the podcast that might be helpful to them or just transfer the information to them. But you all you need to do, uh, beloved, there's two main books that you need, the scriptures and the catechism. That's it. And if you get the, the Holy Bible, make sure you get a good Catholic edition, not watered down, not a children's Bible, none of that. The real Bible. Uh, I recommend the Revised Standard Version Catholic Edition (R.S.V.C.E.). Revised Standard Version Catholic Edition. It's published by Ignatius, um, and it's also uh, you can also find it online. You can go to Bible Gateway, and on the uh, the top, you can it gives you a choice of Bible and just scroll down till you find the Revised Standard Bible uh, Catholic Edition. And um, the the Protestant Edition is the same in the New Testament, but it's missing uh, the seven-plus books that Martin Luther took out at the Reformation. So you don't want that one, but you want the Catholic Edition. And make sure it's not the new Revised Standard Version, not the NRSV, the new Revised Standard Version gave in to inclusive language and other things that are just awful. So just the Revised Standard Version, RSVCE, Catholic Edition, and read to your children. Read them the story of Genesis. Read right through the Bible. Read the Gospel. Uh, read a, go- a book of the New Testament, such as a the Gospel, then go back to Genesis, then read another book of the New Testament, if you wish. Um... Read, this, read the Proverbs, very important. You can read the Psalms, of, sure, of course, but also read Proverbs. It's an instructional book on how we should live, the book of Proverbs. It begins, a father to his son, listen, my son. So um, I recommend that in the second book to get is the Catechism. And again, I do not recommend UCAT for youth. I do not recommend... That you get children's catechisms, you don't need to water anything down. The Bible, for example, is written for First John. the The apostle John wrote First John for for babes, for children, for young men, and for adults. It's written for all three, and he says it in there. But it's the same Word of God. It's not watered down. It's not uh, uh, age appropriate language. It's the Bible. And the, the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, John 3.16, um, a, a child can understand that. A teenager can understand that. An adult can understand that. But uh, no adult, no, matter, no scholar, no matter how long they've studied the Bible, what they know about hermeneutics, the tools of interpretation, all of that, no one on earth will ever plumb, plumb the depth of that verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. No human being, we can we can know a lot and from that verse and from all of salvation history, but no one will ever plumb the depths of it. So, I suggest that you read the Bible, the Bible to your children as a family and let them ask questions and just read, read three lines of it and discuss it in the beginning. Um, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. First verse of Genesis, you could stop right there and you could say, who is God? And let your children answer. And, and how do we know he exists? Let them answer. Children can answer oftentimes better than adults because they don't have all the apologetics uh, objections yet and, and skepticism. Um, and where does God live? And how do we know? And all of that, you know? And uh, try with every answer they give, try to find something right in it, something good in it, in order that you can build them up now if it's not good you don't want to say it but if it's good um uh who is where is god well he's in the sky but this is true don't negate anything if you don't have to yes and where else is he and just begin to uh, help them understand that he's omnipresent that he's he's there's nowhere where god is not nowhere he holds the whole world together and if he didn't, it would explode. So, But that we could have, we could know him personally. You can take one line, one phrase, and spend a half hour on it, if you want, with the discussion. Don't ever worry about getting through a certain book in time or even getting through a page or a paragraph. The most important thing is their interest and their questions. So if you stay on one question for a while and don't get further in the time you have, that's perfect. Not to worry about it. That's how our Lord's disciples learned. He sent them out and they came back with a thousand questions. And he would answer their questions. And that's how they were disciples. That's how they learned. So the Bible and the catechism, same thing. Go through the catechism the same way. And um, you can take our current catechism. You can take what has been highly recommended. And it's really the Council of Trent. It's called the Catechism Explained. And it's magnificent, and it explains the whole faith. With with on every page, the catechism explained. Highly, highly recommended. The other thing that is really highly recommended, and and I wouldn't say just for children, but for you, for me, for adults, is the Baltimore Catechism, uh, number two or number three, either one. I think I, I'm not familiar enough with it to to know um, uh, what's involved with each catechism, but, but I ordered to set myself. I think it's wonderful to go through. And even if you've been through it as a child, uh, who is God? Why did God you, make you? All of that. Those are fantastic questions. And if you have small children, let them memorize the answers. There's nothing wrong with that. Their understanding is going to be limited, but they're going to know the answer. And the answer is going to sink in. And as they grow, They're going to explore that answer and understand more deeply every time. So there's the music for our first break, beloved. We'll be back, and then we'll start something. uh, We'll go back to a book that we've been reading by Frank Sheed, Theology for Beginners, and we're really going to start the theology of it today. Very uh, great. So we'll be right back.
3: in the midst of them, the Liturgy of the Hours is also known as the Divine Office and is the daily prayer of the Church. So you know you'll be uniting your prayer with priests, religious, and laity throughout the world. It's comprised of small reflections, readings from sacred scripture, and writings from saints and theologians. To learn more about the Liturgy of the Hours, visit thestationofthecross.com. That's thestationofthecross.com. Pray with us each day at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network.
1: And um, we are going to begin, as I mentioned, we're going to begin to go back into theology for beginners so together we can learn our faith. Um, I think this book is going to be a, a very great treasure for us, uh, whether we're beginners or whether we're advanced. Uh, I, I, I often get books that are labeled for beginners because uh, this was written in the 50s by um, one of the top apologists the church has ever had, Frank Sheed. And uh, he, I read something by Frank Sheed, read something today by Carl Keating, uh, the modern father of Catholic apologetics uh, who founded Catholic Answers. And I, to tell you for sure, I will um, get a perspective and learn things. Excuse me. I've never known before, even if it's for intended for beginners. So We're always beginning again, beloved. We're always beginners. We're always learning. Blessed be God. So what we read um, week before last, um, because all of last week was the fun drive for the Station of the Cross, there's my hiccups in that awful, (laughs) was, oh, I'm sorry, why study theology? Um, Paco, dear one, I'm going to ask the engineer to just... Uh, pause me for a minute or put up a placard and I need to do something for these hiccups and I'll be right back. Excuse me for that short break. I hope we got rid of the hiccups. It's because of that magnificent friend who told me that if you have hiccups, just take a tiny bit of sugar and they go away. And I'm still shocked that it works every, see, no hiccups. I'm still shocked it works every time. It's a miracle to me. So we're going to start now with theology for beginners. And, um, again, I don't care if you're a scholar, um, uh, this is a treasure of a book, um, and the the first theological chapter, the the first chapter was on why study theology. We went through that, and this one is beginning on the Holy Spirit. I know you probably didn't expect that, neither did I, but um, um, but um, I, I think we're going to love it. And the first subtitle is that the Spirit knows loves, and is powerful. And Frank Sheed, you'll see, is a very personal writer. He gives his own experiences. He gives illustrations. This is anything but dry. So he begins, When I was very new as a street corner speaker for the Catholic Evidence Guild, a questioner asked me what I meant by spirit. I answered, A spirit has no shape, has no size, has no color, has no weight, does not occupy space. And he said, that's the best definition of nothing I ever heard, (laughs) which was very reasonable of him. I had given him a list of things spirit is not, without a hint as to what it is. In theology, and again the word means the study of God, theo is God, ology is study of, in theology... Spirit is not only a key word, it is the key word. Our Lord said to the Samaritan woman, God is a spirit. Unless we know the meaning of the word spirit, we do not know what he said. It is as though he had said God is a blank, which tells us nothing at all. The same is true of every doctrine. They all include spirit in theology. We are studying spirit all the time. And the mind with which we are studying it is a spirit too. Now, I'm going to pause to say, you who teach others, you who are professors or CCD teachers or theology teachers or conference speakers and all that, um, I hope, I, I, I'm just going to guess that you're finding this interesting because it's wonderful. It's another person's perspective, and it broadens our hearts and our minds. I'll continue. We simply must know what it is, and I don't mean just a definition. We must master the idea, make it our own, learn to handle it comfortably and skillfully. That is why I shall dwell upon it rather lengthily here. Slow, careful thinking here will pay dividends later. This book is not planned as a hand gallop over the field of revelation. It is an effort to teach the beginnings of theology. We begin with our own spirit, the one we know best. Spirit is the element in us by which we know and love, by which therefore we decide. Our, holy, our own body knows nothing, right? A dead person, the, the spirit's gone out of him, he, he can't speak, he can't answer, he knows nothing. It loves nothing. Bodily pleasures are not enjoyed by the body. It reacts to them physically with heightened pulse, for instance, or acid stomach. But it is the knowing mind that enjoys the reactions or dislikes them. The body decides nothing, though our will may decide in favor of things that give us bodily pleasure. Let me repeat that. The body decides nothing, even though our will may decide in favor of things that give us bodily pleasure. That can happen. But the body uh, decides nothing. It knows nothing. Spirit knows and loves a slightly longer look at ourselves reveals that spirit has power, too. It is the mind of man that splits the atom. The atom cannot split the mind. It cannot even split itself. It does not know about its own electrons. And here's another subtitle. Spirit produces what matter cannot. Mind we say, splits the atom and calculates the light years. It is true that in both these operations it uses the body, but observe that there is no question which is the user and which is the used. The mind uses the body, not asking the body's consent. The mind is the principle The body, the instrument, I'm thinking of our Lord's uh, statement, as a man thinks, so is he. As he thinks in his heart, so is he. But again, the heart by itself is just a a pulsating organ. It doesn't think. It's the mind that thinks and affects the heart. Is the instrument, so here again, the mind is the principle, the body is the instrument, Is the instrument essential? Must the mind use it to cope with matter? We have evidence in our own experience of mind affecting matter directly. We will to raise our arm, for example, and we raise it. The raising of the arm is a very complicated anatomical activity, but it is set in motion by a decision of the will. And as we shall see the direct power the human mind has over its own body mightier spirits have over all matter this mingling of spirit and matter in human actions arises from a fact which distinguishes man's spirit from all others ours is the only spirit human beings is have the only spirit which is also a soul, that is to say, the life principle in the body. God is a spirit, but has no body. The angels are spirits, but have no body. Only in man, spirit is united with a body, animates the body, makes it to be a living body. Every living body, vegetable, lower animal, human has a life principle, a soul, and just as ours is the only spirit which is a soul, so ours is the only soul which is a spirit. Later we shall be discussing the union of spirit and matter in man to see what light it sheds upon ourselves. But for the present, our interest is in spirit. Now, you're listening to this, and some of you, for a couple of sentences, are saying, "What? What does that mean? What does that say?" You see what I mean? We could. Ne- this is for beginners, and yet it is a challenge. And every paragraph could be taken apart and made an entire class. You see, so you could teach through this book to your use it as a as a study of the faith. It's a fantastic study. Frank She goes on to say, "We have seen that in us." Spirit does a number of things. It knows and loves, and it animates a body. But what at the end of all this is spirit? We can get at it by looking into our own soul, examining in particular one of the things it does. It produces ideas. I remember a dialogue, Frank Sheet says, one of our Catholic Evidence Guild speakers had with a materialist who asserted that his idea of justice was the result of a purely bodily activity produced by a man's material brain. And the speaker said this, how many inches long is it? The questioner said, don't be silly, ideas have no length. And the speaker said, okay, how much does it weigh? And the questioner said, what are you doing? Trying to make a fool of me? The speaker said, no, I'm taking you at your word. What color is it? What shape? If it's material, if it's produced by man's material brain, if it's material, then, then you should be able to answer all these questions, right? Right. And then uh, he goes on to say the discussion at this point broke down. Um, I better stop there, beloved. There's the music for our break. We're going to continue this tomorrow. But after the break, I'm going to take your calls, your emails, your texts, and the toll-free number to call in uh, during the break is the great time to call in is one 877 5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back.
2: Thank you for helping to save the culture.
4: Hi, this is Jim Wright, President of the Station of the Cross. Thank you to everyone who donated so generously to our on-air appeal. We still have a little way to go to reach our goal. To help us, a generous challenge gift donor has offered to give us $25,000 if we reach our goal by June 11th, the Feast of Corpus Christi. This will maximize the impact of your donation. You never know whose life will be changed by your gift to Catholic Radio, maybe one of your own family members. To take advantage of this incredible opportunity, call 1-877-711-8500, 1-877-711-8500, or visit stationofthecross.com, or use the donation page from your iCatholic Radio mobile app, or return the envelope from one of our mailings. Thank you for your generosity, and may God bless you and your family.
0: Welcome back, beloved, to
1: Mother Miriam Live, and uh, we have a whole half hour to ourselves. And Feel free to uh, call in at 1-877-511-5483, or uh, t- uh, text at that toll-free number as well, um, or um, email at mother at Cross.com. Uh, um, we have a call from Frank uh, in, um, is it Massachusetts, Frank?
5: Yes, it is, Mother Mariam.
1: Good, good morning, on. dear one.
5: How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing just, great. Just to start you off, I'm the one who you nicknamed Franco. Is that
1: right? Do you remember? I'm trying remember? to. I'm, I'm trying remember to. Remember the... I had
5: told you I am ha- a convert to the Russian Orthodox Church?
1: Yes. It's okay. coming back. It's okay. coming back. Why did doing? I nickname you Franco?
5: I have no idea. I, I, I'm trying to figure out how you got Franco out of Frank, but that was no problem.
1: But I, it's cute. I like it. So as we speak, I'm, I, I'm already beginning to recall this. So go ahead, dear one.
5: Okay, Mother Miriam. Uh, I, I happen to be a former Roman Catholic. I converted to the Russian Orthodox Church back in about uh, January 7, 2001. Now, I'm, I, remember I told you that I was not raised in the Catholic religion. Mm-hmm. My parents had left when I was age twelve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I used to. My parents used to attend a church in Everett called St. Anthony's uh, Catholic Church in Everett. Okay. Massachusetts on Oak Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, now I converted in two thousand one, and I've been part of the Orthodox Church since then. Yeah. Now I have a question for you, Mother Miriam.
1: Um, and it's the Russian the Orthodox, Orthodox Church, so you're not. just to clarify, so you the church is not under the papacy, right? No. No. Yeah, I got I'm you. Okay, just want to make it clear. Got it. Uh-huh. Go ahead, dear.
5: All right. Now, in the Catholic Church, because I, I had to learn about Roman Catholicism, so I probably know just about as much, if not a little bit more, than the average Catholic. I bet uh, you do. In the Catholic Church, you'll find uh, Eucharistic miracles, yep. uh, weeping Madonnas, uh, 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 incorruptible saints, and so on and so forth. Correct. Now, in the Orthodox Church, you find the same thing. Right. Weeping Madonnas, incorruptible saints, uh, also even saints who talk about the future, everything. Yes. Everything, for every Catholic miracle, you can find an Orthodox miracle. I'm with you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Now, how do you explain the Orthodox Church to the Catholic Church? Now, you say that the Catholic Church is the one true church. Yes. You're defining the Roman Catholic Church. That's right. right. Now... Please, can you explain how the Orthodox Church isn't the one true church? Because yes. she herself also has the same miracles. The only yes. part that's different is in the Orthodox Church, they have what they call holy fire. That means when a, pers- when a person views holy fire and they're able to touch it, they can put their hands in it and they can put their face into it. It does not burn. It's yeah. plasma light. That's yeah but that's inside. not let me,
1: let, let me just say, Frank, uh, that happens in other, uh, in denominations, other denominations as well. It's not unique to the Russian Orthodox Church. However, I, I believe you, of course. Um, the, the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church in general, Um, you know there was a split. I think it's the year 1054, it could be 58, I'm not 100% sure. I think it's 1054, where the East and the West split. It split for political reasons. It split over a theological uh, issue called the Filioque Clause, which is the argument on the procession of the Holy Spirit if it proceeds from the Father alone or the Father and the Son. And um, that was the great split. And the Orthodox said just from the Father, and the Catholic Church maintained the Father and the Son. But there were political things going on at the time also. Um, If you go to the website catholic.com, you'll find some very good books on that. And one particular book from a um, a priest uh, who was a... um, who who converted? Who was a priest prior to coming to the Catholic Church and converted? And he died some years ago. Father uh, Ryland. Um, in any case, uh, John Paul II, now Saint John Paul II, um, used to describe the East and the West. So you're the East, we're the West, so to speak. Um, the Latin and the Eastern Church um, as the two lungs of the Church and it has been years you know now a thousand almost a thousand years that the various popes and others have been trying to n- unite the two lungs of the church because when it split uh, a thousand years ago or so um the everything was valid it was only one church so the uh, Ordinations, the bishops were valid, the sacraments were valid, they were one church. And so when they split, those in the East, uh, again, that includes the Russian Orthodox, um, uh, had valid uh, bishops, valid priests, valid sacraments. And so they've continued to ordain, and their ordinations are valid for that reason, because they were... Um, um, conducted by valid bishops, and the sacraments are valid, even though the Eucharist is given in different form, and the um, baptism and communion, all of that is is, uh, handled a little differently. Uh, But they're valid, because they all came from the true Church that split. Um, Those that split from the Catholic Church uh, completely uh, form new denominations, such as Martin Luther at the Reformation, they've completely given the Catholic Church up. I mean, they are no longer Catholic. They've denied the true Church that God established. So, um, the Orthodox Church is is um, is valid in that it has valid ordinations, valid sacraments, um, but it is. Uh, Apart, I don't want I don't know how to what I don't know if I should say outside um, apart from the true church, because it has separated itself in that sense, not being under the one true vicar of Christ. That's the issue that Christ left a vicar on earth, and um, it is the Pope. It's been the Pope since St. Peter, and you can trace uh, the line of succession of popes since St St Peter. Uh, right to St. Francis today, some good popes, some a lot of bad popes, but uh, most good popes, I should say, and a good handful of bad popes. But still, Pope God has still protected and kept his church, so that's the difference, Frank. But your your miracles would be valid, your all of that, no question. And you have saints, you do have saints, no question. But the 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 dream and the hope would be that one day the two would be united under the Vicar of Christ.
5: The only thing, Mother, is papal, like, stuff like, here, here's an example, in 1870, Vatican Council 1, the Catholic Church uh, proclaimed papal infallibility. But the only thing is, you cannot find it in the Bible. Peter never said he was infallible. None of them did.
1: The Jesus said,
5: is in "God in is in God's Church.
1: Jesus said, so I will lead you into, into all church. truth. That's right. I will lead you into all truth till the end of time. And he does that through his church. He does that through his people. No question about it. And what that... Go ahead. But that's basically it. It's not the people that do that. Peter's not going to declare himself infallible. In fact, no pope has been infallible. The gift, they are sinners like us. The gift of infallibility that you just mentioned was declared... Um, only for matters of faith and morals, only when the Pope declared a matter of faith or of morals that was absolutely binding on the faithful to believe and live at great peril. Um, In that case, uh, the gift of infallibility is really a negative gift in that it protects the Pope from speaking error. It doesn't say the Pope is infallible. No Pope is infallible. It doesn't say that God makes him speak the truth. It says that when a doctrine is binding on the faithful, the gift of infallibility protects the church by protecting the Pope from uh, binding something on the people that is false. Our current Pope Francis has spoken error uh, more than once. Um, and what people have called heresy it doesn't mean he's not the true pope but we're not bound to believe it or to live it were he ever to declare a doctrine that was false um, and he declared it binding on the faithful uh, and it it contradicted the faith then he would be he would no longer be a pope he would be instantly excommunicated as a heretic
5: now, here's one thing, Mother. Just, to, just to, to also say, now how if I could say now you're saying just the Roman Catholic Church. You're saying the Russian Church, the Orthodox
1: Church. I'm saying the Church which I'm, I'm, I'm describing. You're right, as under the Holy Father, as under Christ's Vicar on Earth.
5: Now, how can you not say that the Orthodox Church is also part of the Catholic Church? It's just it, you view it view it in this sense: two churches that are in not in communion with each other. Much like, say, the issue with Constantinople with the Russian Orthodox Church. Yeah, no. They're basically autocephalous churches not talking to each other, even though they may be one in Christ.
1: No, sweetheart. You can tell that you can talk about Protestantism that way. You can say uh, this is a Lutheran, this is a Methodist, and they're not talking to each other or two Methodist groups that split and don't talk to each other because they believe differently. You cannot say that of the Catholic Church and any other church. There's nothing equal to the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church is not man-made. It's what Christ established. And you may know from history yourself that the Catholic Church is the one church that has existed for 2,000 years with all the all the sinners in it, uh, It's been a very checkered history, but it's one church is against Protestantism that has split over 500 times, rather 40,000 times in less than 500 years. The Orthodox has also split. When they split, there wasn't Orthodox and Greek Orthodox and Russian Orthodox and uh, all of that. There wasn't. It was one church, and it, it has split several times since then. You've had different leaders um, we just have one pope, and he's um, he is succeeded by another. It's only one office. They're not equal. That's They're not two bigger. churches that are equal. They there's the Church Christ established and the Orthodox Church that split from the Catholic Church, and is one branch of the Orthodox Church now, the Russian that split, and um, again in in. In doing away with the papacy, it's done away with other things. But again, because the ordinations um, and the sacraments were valid, they remain valid in succession. Uh, Frank, go. I'm not the expert by any means on this, um, but go ahead, if you will. Uh, it'll really help you to answer the question, Um and then, of course, maybe bring you back to the church you left because you didn't know what it was, even though you love the Russian Orthodox Church. My parents are, are Russian Jews, and I spent some time in Russia, and I love everything Russian. I love the music. To me, is is more uh, magnificent than anything I've ever heard in the Latin church. It's just—and I love Gregorian chant and all that. It's straight from the synagogue— but the Russian church has so much beauty, iconography, all of that. I love it. But um, I need to stay with the Catholic church, which is truly uh, its name, universal. Get a book, Frank, and uh, see if it will help you. Because I cannot answer all your questions, and not thoroughly, and not accurately. All right, my dear brother?
5: book Seven Ecumenical Councils. By, I think his name is Donald Davis. That would be a good book for you to read,
1: too. All right. Bye-bye, Manda. Bye, sweetheart. There's the music for our break. Uh, beloved, call in with anything that's on your heart. Uh, you see, I can't all, not, only, not always answer anything but everything, but there are certainly resources we can send you to uh, to get the answers, and they're better when you get them yourself from a book, but a, a reliable book. Um We'll be right back after the break. Call in with anything on your heart. one 511 5483
2: The future of the family is grim. As Our Lady of Fatima said, the final battle will be for the family. It truly seems as though we're in the heat of this final battle and we need your help. Our mission at LifeSite News is to educate and activate readers with the information they need to defend life and the family and restore Christian culture. We are currently the most popular pro-life website on the internet with over 40 million unique users every year. And we've been experiencing an even bigger reach than ever this year
5: The Terry and Jesse Show, weekdays, 2 p.m. Eastern, on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network and heard around the world on the iCatholic Radio app. This is Jesse Romero from the Terry and Jesse Show. Each weekday, we're talking about the things that matter to Catholics, spiritual warfare, Marian devotion, tradition, and staying strong in your faith in this culture of death. I hope you'll join us. Give us a call during the show at
4: 888-526-2151. candidates think abortion has
5: nothing to do with their job. But abortion is legal only because the government has decided that some human beings are not protected by the Constitution. Do we really want to elect people who think the government has that kind of power over life and death? Think about it. This is Father Frank Pavone, Director of Priests for Life.
0: Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at one 5483 or email her at mother at com. Welcome back, beloved,
1: to Mother Miriam Live. I'm thrilled to be here with you. We have about 10 minutes, and our phone lines are open. If you'd like to call in toll-free or text at one 511 5483 Let me see. Um, we have a question from Therese, or Therese, and she says, Hello, Mother Miriam, I have a serious question. Um would it be canonically valid for a priest to grant general absolution aerially uh, by way of chopper, like an aerial Eucharistic benediction being done in Guam and Alabama, to a po- uh, to a population um, in the case where we don't know how many might be dying or ill from COVID-19? And there is a blockade on travel pre- preventing people from going to confession or or receiving the last rites. Um, Thank you. All right. Would it be canonically valid for a priest to grant general absolution aerially? Absolutely not. Um, uh, Let me just, no, no. It has to be in person. It can't be aerially. uh, Canon law says that the faithful have a right to the sacraments. Um, But let me see now. Um, hold on one moment, I'm I'm trying to get, um, um, cannot be done at a distance. The nature of the sacraments um, is juridical. The law governs the celebration of the sacraments. Um, Let me just see... Um, the Pontifical. I'm, re, I'm trying to read something that will uh, give you a succinct answer here. The Pontifical Council for Social Communication puts it clearly: virtual reality is no substitute. Virtual reality is no substitute for the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Right. So that has to do with uh, flying over a town, uh, the internet, Skype, phone, anything like that. Um, Virtual reality is no substitute for the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, the sacramental reality of the other sacraments and shared worship in a flesh-and-blood human community. There are no sacraments on the Internet, and even the religious experience possible there by the grace of God are insufficient apart from real-world interaction with other persons of faith. Um, I'd have to read through this article, but Catholic World Report um, you can see it on the web, ca- web, catholicworldreport.com, uh, has an entire article titled confession by phone, Skype, or, um, um, Emoli. I, I forget those little character faces, how they're pronounced. Could it happen during a, coro- a coronavirus pandemic pandemic? Um, no, it cannot. It cannot. And so, um, uh, you can go and, and look up canon law, and you can look up, just type the question in, um, can confession be made um, in, um, by uh, remotely, uh, however it is, by phone or by internet or that kind of thing? It absolutely cannot be. And people say, but what if I can't get to confession then? Um, You know, I've seen priests and driving in parking lots of a church and they set up a little confessional, a little chair and the people have been driving by and they, they maintain, they stay in their cars, they maintain six feet and they get to the priest with their cell phone, but they're facing the priest. And the only reason they're on the cell phone, if somebody can't shout their confession so the priest can hear it, which should never happen anyway, shouting. And so they're both looking at each other physically, and they're talking on their cell phones, which at that point acts like a walkie-talkie. But the person is there with the priest, and that's what has to happen. The person and the priest must be in the same sit- uh, locale, and the sacrament cannot be given otherwise. And so... um That has to happen. So we are left with um, a true act of hopefully perfect contrition if we have true godly sorrow, and that is we're sorry not just because we've been caught, that kind of thing, which is part of it, of course, Um, but um, again, not because we fear hell, but because uh, thou art worthy of all our love. If it's truly that we're sorry because we have offended God's love, um we can we can be forgiven by god by making a, an act of perfect contrition um but uh, and uh, as well making an act of spiritual communion which one priest said sometimes is more which we do here daily we make spiritual communion because even at the doors of mary we're not able to have a priest in here to celebrate mass that's a grievous situation and it, it's not one we agree with but It's one that we need to live with. And so um, we can make spiritual communions. And one wonderful priest said once, there are many spiritual communions that one makes from the sincerity and love of their heart, um, which are more effective uh, than actual communion received when we receive the communion kind of -of matter-of-factly. But at home, we we're, we're really long for God deeply, and that's, that's more effective. So we'll leave it at that. Uh, we have a, f- a question from Facebook from Frank, who says, Mother, how come you cannot call a priest and have confession over the phone? Well... Uh, um, this, looks like, this sounds like the same Frank who just called in. He says, my church does it. I'm an Orthodox Christian, and I've had communion in my church in Massachusetts. Well, I don't know if you're the Russian Orthodox Church or not, or you're the same Frank, Franco, but um, it, it's not what the Catholic Church can do. It would not be valid. You cannot have confession over the phone. If you find a priest that says yes, it's not valid. It's not a, you'll find a sympathetic priest, but one who does not care very much about your soul because it will not be valid. In my mind, Frank and everyone else, there is no priest who should refuse confession. No priest who can refuse, who should refuse, refuse confession. And Bishop Athanasius Snyder and uh, Cardinal Seurat, who's the head of the, uh, congregation of divine worship and the sacraments both have said that no one, no one has the right to deny um, a Catholic confession or the Eucharist or the sacraments. No one. No one has that right, and no one has authority over the priests and the bishops. No one. No governor, no secular so-called authority has any authority. Um, a bishop has no authority over a priest in this matter. Uh, I may get um, uh, in hot water with some bishops over this, but it's true. No one has the authority, no bishop can order a priest not to give the Holy Eucharist and not to hear their confession and not to to give less rites. No one has the authority to do that. again, Um are priests to disobey their bishops? No, as long as the bishop stays with the teaching of the church. When the bishop forms his own uh, magisterium and his own um, uh, position that's contrary to the church, the priests not only do not have to obey, they shouldn't obey. This is a huge point, and it's been made um, in many uh Internet communications these days, articles on LifeSite News, um, and, and other other sites, uh, it, you will find it. Um, uh, beloved, this is a great, great error. Uh, we can communicate, we can beg our bishops to allow us to open our, not our, our governors rather, to allow us to open our churches, but they have no power over religion and the churches. We're giving them a power they don't have. So um, all we need to do is live the faith we have and not ask anyone for permission to live it. God bless you, and we'll speak to you tomorrow.